Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Friday, October the 4th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're doing just two things today, answering your questions on the Twitter mailbag and talking about the weekend viewing guide for both college and professional football, as well as the six-pack of picks for the weekend. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Keep making us a top 200 podcast on the Apple Podcast Sports Chart, as well as top 100 on Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have tons of written content for you guys, and I have the free agent preview, so to speak, up live on the website right now. So check that out. There are plenty of videos inside for you guys to digest. And of course, last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I intended to begin this podcast with a quarter point review of the Dolphins season, but since Sunday night, we're going to go ahead and do the offseason mock part one, which is going to have a fake draft, a fake free agency, and I'm going to unveil a potential 53-man roster for you guys for next season because that's what we're forced to do here with this football team right now. I figured why not put that in the next episode as well and go over the roster man by man and evaluate the roster as it is right now. Who's going to be here in the long term? What role will they play? Check back on Sunday night for all of that. But let's go ahead and jump right now into your questions on the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out every single week. You respond. We talk about it here on Friday. I always leave about 50 in the chamber, but I'm hoping to get to more today. So I'll shut up and let's go ahead and jump right in. And my goodness, this first one is such a walk down memory lane for me personally. And it comes in from Anthony Meester. He's at Meester Tweets. You've heard him on the podcast before. He says, it's 1993. You and your brother just finished dinner and you're going to go play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. What character do you roll with? I was Raphael. My brother was Leonardo. It was a good mix of reach and close contact weapons. Man, that is some great analysis on TMNT. And you're damn right I played that game all the damn time. I played that one and King Griffey Jr. Baseball, the original for Super Nintendo. Not winning run, the original, which is the all-time greatest video game ever made. That was my jam, but I did play some TMNT and I loved orange. Orange was my favorite color. Part of the reason I got into the Miami Dolphins as a child. And so I was all about Michelangelo and he too liked Leonardo because blue was his favorite color. So we had the nunchucks and then the sword, right? I believe that's what he used was the big sword with Leonardo. So yeah, great game, great call. Any talk about Super Nintendo or old school gaming, I'm all about that here on the podcast. Next one here from Anthony Lopez getting back into the football. He is at Anthony Rock with a couple of Ks. What's an acceptable trajectory for the team in the next year, assuming Tua and adequate free agent spending? To me, anything less than seven wins would be concerning. We actually did a segment on this, I think a few weeks back when I discussed the expectations because this year, 
There's no expectation. The goal is to get the first pick in the draft. I'll talk about that at length. I'll talk about the sources I know that have told me so. But at the end of the day, they just don't care. There's no expectation this year. But that changes next season. You're damn right that Steven Ross wants to see this team make improvements and have victories and maybe at the worst, at the very worst, get back to what they were prior to the rebuild and the teardown and be a 7-9 and team or an 8-8 eight and eight team that's on the up and up. Not one of those teams that makes the playoffs and everybody the next year says, oh, the Dolphins are one of those teams you can kick out in that five-team overchange in the playoffs every year or even at 7-9 and nine, just saying, well, there's the Dolphins being 14th in the draft again with no real expectation. There is absolutely going to be a mandate and expectation to win games next year. You mentioned seven. I think that's right about in line with what they expect because when you do that, if you go, if Brian Flores goes five and 11 next year and he has Tua and he has two other first round picks that are contributing and he has a couple of big free agent buys that are contributing and they're just not winning games and you have that roster and you have that much free agent money to spend and a second year in the system as pros and you have the draft picks coming up in 2021. You think a Lincoln Riley or someone to that magnitude is not going to say, well, if I want to go to the NFL, I can basically forge my own landscape and use the Miami Dolphins organization and live in South Florida, not even to mention that, but to use this team and this, this organization as his own personal canvas to create the foundation that he prefers and ultimately wants to build when he does make that jump to the NFL, because it is going to happen. So Lincoln Riley's a bridge too far right now for us, but as far as the expectation, Flores has to win some games next year. There will be an expectation for that in 2020. Next one here comes in from Chris Larondo. He's at Extortion on Twitter. From what I see, Aguavin is struggling in every facet of the game. Don't you feel that Raekwon would be a better fit even in pass coverage? I know he wasn't great in coverage last year, but he can't do much worse than Sam. I think one of the reasons that Aguavin's being kind of made to look so bad right now, and don't get it twisted. I'm not going to make mistakes. He's doing a horrible job getting off blocks. He's getting lost in coverage. He's not doing anything as a pass rusher, but some of the instances of his bad reps, especially in coverage, is because he looks lost, and they're putting a lot on his plate, and I just don't think he's ready to handle that just yet. As far as Raekwon McMillan, his job and his responsibilities and what they've asked of him has been really scaled back from last year, so you're getting that good rundown support without having to worry about the coverage on the back end. Now, as far as what this roster is this season, I would think that might be a good idea and your best chance to win games. But as far as what you want to build this team to be long-term, you need to find out if Sam McGuavin's going to be a special teams core guy or if he can be at maybe best right now a sub-package linebacker that comes off the bench and helps you in coverage on third and long or possibly blitzes the quarterback. Raekwon, going forward, is more of a two-down thumper, a middle linebacker type, a guy that could probably give you 60% of the total workload and give you a bunch of good snaps in that workload percentage, but I just don't think it makes sense long-term to make that switch because McMillan, in coverage, it's probably not going to work out for him. I would have him going downhill more than going backwards. And for Aguavin to be the guy that gets the tryout or the audition, I just think that makes sense. I think he still has earned that based upon what he was in camp and preseason. And I guess I'll give him a few more games of a leash to figure out what he is going forward. A great start to the mailbag so far. We have plenty 
plenty more to come on the Twitter mailbag. But first, I want to tell you guys about Blinkist. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash locked on to try it free for seven days. That's one week, and you can save 25% off your new subscription with Blinkist. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been waiting all week for Saturday because there's some action to bet on once again. And not that I don't bet every week, but this week I'm going down to my buddy's house. Five of us are going to have money on the games. It's going to be an absolute blast. And you know how we're going to do that? Through my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but a game is 10 times more exciting for me when I've got some cold hard cash on the result. Sometimes it's a gut feeling about a matchup, or sometimes I'm just going to go ahead and bet on my Dolphins or my Cougs, my team. Regardless, whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for the first time, my bookie is your best bet all season long. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little bit and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of big favorites this weekend, Ohio State, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. Between football season, we got baseball playoffs and the start of hoops and hockey. It's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action. You know your team better than anybody else, right? So put some cash on it today with mybookie.ag. And if you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code locked on one word to activate that offer. That's promo code locked on to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. We are having a celebration because it is officially the weekend. Unless you're going into work, then I apologize for spilling the beans there a little bit too early on your weekend. But we do have college football this weekend, baseball playoffs. I just love this time of year so much. And with that, let's go ahead and jump back into your questions on the Twitter mailbag. This one comes in from Ram. He is at GiantFin831. If the Dolphins miss out on Tua, which route would you want them to take? And I've gotten this question from several of you guys, so I'll go ahead and knock it all out right here. It would depend on the way in which they missed out on Tua. Does he go back to school, which I do not believe will happen, or do they not get the first pick in the draft, which I also don't believe will happen? Let's go ahead and play the second scenario where the Dolphins don't get the first pick because I think that's the one that's more likely to happen because I do believe he is coming out. But if the Dolphins finish you know, second to last and the Bengals or Washington has that first pick, you're not getting him, and that's just all it's going to be. They're going to take him first overall, and you're going to have to deal with the consequences of that. At that juncture, I would be inclined to trade down and acquire more picks, even a future first if I can, and see if someone wants to come up and get Chase Young or Justin Herbert, whoever it might be, I would try to get get more picks and then come back later maybe with that Steelers pick and go after Jordan Love. I know a lot of you folks out there don't like Jordan Love. You think that his production this year is showing you a bad player, but as far as the scouting community goes, there is a reason he's catching these buzz because if you refer back to some of the reports I did on him earlier, it's not about his current production. It's about what you project him to be, kind of like Patrick Mahomes, who a lot of folks thought that maybe he was too sandlot and couldn't play within the structure of an NFL offense, and then he gets to Kansas City, and granted, Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds to ever coach football, but once he gets there and takes the first year as kind of a backseat learning experience, 
Now, all of a sudden, Mahomes is one of the most structured quarterbacks in the NFL, and that's where he really makes his hay. Now, granted, he does have the explosive, amazing plays off script that catch the highlights, but the reason he's so successful is because he plays well within that structure, and I think Jordan Love has some of those same traits where he can play at a high level, and he does have the aptitude to process things at a high level. He's been through three offensive coordinators in three years at Utah State. They kept the same system in place this year, but there have been some learning curves as far as getting the new coaching staff and that communication implemented through Jordan Love. So I do believe that he has tremendously high upside, like could become the next type of Mahomes, not that good, but he does have like burst through the ceiling type of upside. Now he does probably have a bit of a floor too, but one of the reasons I think that floor is higher than some folks think is because of the running ability he has and kind of some of that Cam Newton trait where, yeah, you might not have all the layups you hit every single down, but the explosive plays and the added dimension of the quarterback run and getting 10 guys to block for the quarterback run down around the red zone and the goal line, that added dimension can make you so much more lethal when it gets down to the most important plays in any game, which of course are those goal to go, are those red zone plays. So this kind of turned into a Jordan Love question. That's what I would do. I would trade back and target Jordan Love because then I still have more draft capital to possibly replace him if he doesn't work out. And I'm not completely married to the idea if he doesn't work out. So going backwards and not putting a bunch of capital into another quarterback, just do it that way and replace the capital you spend on that quarterback. That would make me feel the most comfortable. But still, it's all, I've only got eyes for Tua right now. So it's difficult to even think about that prospect. Next one here comes in from JT Evans. He is at JT underscore Evans. Batamosi and Steven Parker seem like solid tacklers with some upside. Do you see a potential Walt Akins and Michael Thomas on special teams 2.0 moving forward? That's a great question. We don't talk about special teams ever on this podcast. And I think there's some validity to that. And you might end up seeing the end of Walt Akins, who is a team captain here. And I get all of that, but... He doesn't give you anything on the defensive side of the ball. And while Johnson Batamosi's kind of that same build, that same type of player, he's more of a Brian Flores guy. He was in New England with Flores, and I think that he does better on special teams. And he can come in and play safety, though it's not his strong suit. He can't come down and cover at all. But I do think that Steven Parker might have some upside, maybe coming onto the field as your dime safety or your third safety in defensive packages. In addition to being a special teams ace, that would be a big boon for the team. Like we talk about all the time, The more you can do, and especially under this regime, the more you can do, the better it will be for your prospects for being on the team long term. So as far as being those next two special teams aces, yeah, absolutely, especially Batamosi. Next question from Jake Johnson. He's at Jake Johnson 4. Do you ever sleep? Constant football analysis with five podcasts a week, school, married. Where do you find the time to do all of it? Well, that's actually a great question, Jake, because it gives me a chance to brag about my wife for a second. She is the best human being that has ever walked the face of the earth, in my opinion, and she allows me to do all this stuff. She's not the type of wife that's like, well, you have to spend this time with me. I want you to come out on the couch and sit here and watch Real Housewives. We spend a lot of time together. We designate time together by ourselves and set it aside so that we have the time to be our own individuals and we both really believe in individuality and maintaining your individuality within a relationship so we spend a lot of time in the house together where we're doing something different than each other like for instance she'll be watching Real Housewives or I'll be watching college football or we'll do things together like work together we have the same office upstairs and she'll come up here and do her lesson plans while I'm doing the podcast or writing so we just make it work we have a very good healthy relationship so I would say that she's the reason that it really kind of drives that as far as what I find the time to do all this 
there's nothing else I want to do. And that's just basically all it comes down to. I pretty much ditch out on most things that I get invited to, to stay home to watch football, to stay home and go over film, to stay home and write. In the off season, on the weekends, I spend most of my Saturdays doing film workups and looking at and, and writing for the website and doing podcast material. And then right now during the season, it's basically a 12 hour day every single day, six days a week for the most part. I wake up and go to school, get my lift in, come back and write and podcast and do the video stuff. It's, it's a lot right now. But I, I just every time I get a little bit annoyed by how much work I have to do, I think about when I used to work in water restoration or sold insurance or worked at a staffing company, how much I hated doing any of those things. So the fact that I get to do this, it's just it's it's such a blessing to me. And I'm just so thrilled to be able to do it. So don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times where I'm overwhelmed. In fact, before this podcast, I didn't want to record this show today. I just wasn't feeling it, but I got myself up here. And once I get going, I always wind up loving what I'm doing. So it, it just works out, man. Like you love what you do. You never work a day in your life. It's such a cliche, but it's so damn true. And we've got some big stuff coming for you guys as well from the Wingfield brand. So keep an eye on that going forward. Next question here comes in from Trey Scout, PFN. He's at PFN Trey. How many first round picks do you see the Finns leaving with this April includes trade downs? That's a difficult question because... I would be very shocked if they stay at all three spots on the draft board, especially in that Pittsburgh Steelers pick. I think that will be the action pick of the first round, especially if it gets into the top five. I think Miami will be looking to sell back and get more picks, get more capital, add more players to the roster at that point, push more resources into 2021. So I do think that they'll make three draft picks because when you trade down, you're probably going to get someone else's first round pick in return. But I do think they'll trade back and still leave that draft with three players. Like Jordan Reed said of, I believe, the Draft Network, you could leave this draft with three stars if you're the Dolphins. And that, to me, has me very, very intrigued. Next one here comes from Dave Camfield. He's at Dave Camfield on Twitter. Do you think the Bengals now pose the most risk to our first pick, or are the Steelers better than we thought and we won't get a top 10 pick from them? I actually began to tweet on Monday night that a weekly reminder, the Steelers are a very flawed football team. And then, of course, at that very moment, the game turned the other direction. I think it was 7-3 Bengals or 3 nothing Bengals or something like that. And it changed on a dime because I just don't believe in Mason Rudolph. I don't believe in their plan on defense. And really, all they did in that game, I talked about it on Twitter, was run fly sweep action and take advantage of the fact that the Bengals have the oldest, slowest defense in football. And it just punked them. Now, the Steelers' defense is good, but I don't think their offense will be able to keep them off the field enough to be able to see that result every single Sunday. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers win five games this year and wind up picking sixth or seventh for us. As far as the Bengals, I don't think they're the biggest threat because Andy Dalton will have four or five good games a year where he plays really well and gets his team to the winner's circle. I think the biggest competition right now is Washington because if they turn things over to Dwayne Haskins, who's not ready at all, if they go to him, then that team's probably not going to win games that he starts because they're a tire fire right now. Their offensive line's banged up. Their defense is bad. Their quarterback position's terrible. Unless they go to Colt McCoy later on, which is a very, very real possibility, that team could be neck and neck with Miami all year. But the good news with them is that the NFC is so much better and they play an NFC schedule. The Dolphins play an AFC schedule, obviously. The good news there is that Miami, if they have a tiebreaker, they will have no chance to beat the Dolphins in the tiebreaking scenarios. So even if Washington loses to the Dolphins on next Sunday and Miami goes 1-15 and and Washington finds a win, let's say against the Giants or something, and both teams are 1-15, and the pick will go to the Dolphins because right now Miami is in shape to have a horrible 
strength of schedule. So I think it's Washington, but still, I'm going to go ahead and hammer this point home. I don't think anybody's coming for that first pick. The Dolphins are very, very bad. Okay, I'm really enjoying this podcast today. You guys are asking some fantastic questions. I'm just going down the list as it's presented on my timeline. So if I don't get to your questions, I really apologize for that. I want to get to as many as I can. And with that, let's go ahead and take our last break. Come back on the other side, get to a few more of these, and do College Football Friday next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. I'm out the door with that drone and them peas. Scooping up Chris and I'm hitting the field, right? Yeah. A little bit of a different show today here on the Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, taking your questions on the Twitter mailbag, getting off of the football subject for a little bit, but I think we've kind of earned that break here on the bye week. We're going to come back next week on Sunday slash Monday, of course, with the offseason mock part number one. We'll do that a lot this coming season and offseason as well. And then Tuesday's show, we're going to have Ian Wharton on to talk about college football and the quarterbacks in that landscape as well as other positions and then on Wednesday it's going to be back to your regularly scheduled programming with the crossover podcast the Thursday preview and of course Friday's lock of the week and mailbag podcast and then we're going to do that for about 14 more weeks or 13 more weeks until we finally get to the offseason the ultimate destination this season next question here comes in from Mr. Stubborn he's at Abduarte underscore one if Miami is successful in building a championship team after the tank do you see more teams selling off assets and tanking as the new norm around the league? I really do because I think this is more of a modern analytics-driven type of idea or type of plan that teams just weren't really ready to welcome in the past because football has so many... And I really want to choose my words carefully here. And it's kind of like baseball in the same way. There's so many antiquated ideas that still exist in the game. And one of those things is like the size of the quarterback position. Or, and I hate to say this, your skin color. Like it still exists out there. There are antiquated thoughts when it comes to scouting football. And that thought still lives and breathes inside some organizations. But it's kind of starting to die, thankfully, and going more towards a progressive analytics approached type of idea. And I think that as teams are realizing that We can do better faster if we go backwards first and then go forward and stop trying to hang on to these seasons where you win five, six, seven, maybe even eight games. And yeah, you might be in the hunt, which gets your fan base excited around Thanksgiving into Christmas time. But what does it leave you in the end of all that? It means you're just going to be in that same perpetual cycle. And I think that other teams might start taking notice of that. For instance, like the Broncos, who are discussing trades for Emmanuel Sanders or possibly Von Miller's name coming up. It's just like all those keeper leagues you've ever played in in fantasy sports. When you're out of the hunt, what do you do? You trade your high-priced first-round picks that you can't keep the next year, and you go out and you get prospects and pile them up and load them up and retool for the future. I think there's nothing wrong with it. Now, as far as cutting off half your roster before the season and trying to lose games that way, that's a little bit shady. But I do think that taking all the money off the books, pushing your future resources into later years is genius. It really is smart, and I have zero issue with it. I think other teams will catch on, especially after the Dolphins find success in two or three years. Next question here comes in from, I apologize for that. The boss, Mr. Locke himself, was just giving me a phone call, so I had to answer that. 
I thought, why not keep that in the episode? That's kind of funny. One more question here. This one comes in from Tom. He is at Hot Stover on Twitter. What is Isaiah Prince's ceiling? That's a great question because we saw a guy on Sunday who did really well in run blocking, but it's the pass blocking aspect of his game that's really quite a bit behind where it needs to be to be a viable option, especially if you're going to be a right tackle for a left-handed quarterback. He's just too slow off the ball. It was my big concern with him at Ohio State, but he was always a work in progress type of guy. I thought he belonged on the practice squad all season long. He gets called up because of injuries. If they can just continue to get him to be a road grader. Maybe he's your sixth offensive lineman that comes into the game and is an extra blocker. Maybe he's your swing tackle in that regard too. As far as being a starter long-term, we'll see. But if he is that sixth lineman and that swing tackle, that's great value for a sixth round draft pick. That's what you want those picks to turn into. Solid quality depth. I think that's what Prince can be. Okay, that was a blast of a mailbag. We'll come back for another one next week here on the Friday edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Let's go ahead and jump now into the weekend viewing guide and talk about some college football games and NFL games you'll want to keep an eye on. Utah State is at LSU. That's at noon on the SEC Network. Obviously, Jordan Love and Joe Burrow doing battle. We'll see who gets the best of that one. And you also cannot forget Grant Delpit, the do-it-all safety, and also a player that just stands to have me butcher his name every single time. They're Ed Russer and Kayla Von Chazen. I think that's how you say it. I haven't heard his name pronounced in person yet, but I'll be keeping a close eye on that one. Also, Oklahoma and Kansas at noon. Jalen Hurts. I'm still not sold on him. I think he's doing more within the scheme than he is off the off structure and that type of stuff like Baker and Kyler did. We'll see where he grows and develops in the next couple of months, but he plays Kansas. They're going to destroy them. Georgia and Tennessee. Jake Fromm, obviously. DeAndre Swift and Andrew Thomas, all Georgia offensive players. That's at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Oregon and Cal, 8 o'clock on Fox. Justin Herbert and the entire Oregon Ducks offensive line. A good matchup there against a good defense. And then Washington, the Jacob Eason show, finally gets onto the podcast here. They face the Stanford Cardinal at 10.30 on ESPN. On the Sunday slate, some important games. Steelers versus Ravens on CBS at 1 o'clock. We need Baltimore to pull that win off. I think if Baltimore wins that game, Pittsburgh loses next week to the Chargers. And then the Monday night game between Miami and the Steelers is going to be a battle of an 0-6 team and a 1-5 team in Pittsburgh. If they lose to the Baltimore Ravens, we'll be on a good track for that. Texans are hosting the Falcons and the beat-up Matt Ryan squad at 1 o'clock on Fox. We'll see about Deshaun Watson, what that offense looks like. They seem to be up and down every single week. And then you've got the Saints hosting the Bucks at 1 o'clock on Fox in that one as well. So my predictions for these games, I was 0-3 last week, so what the hell do I know? But I think Baltimore wins. I think the Texans take care of the Falcons. And I think the Saints will beat the Bucks. So we'll get the high draft pick getting higher and higher from the Steelers, while the Texans and Saints pick go backwards in the wrong direction. And let's go ahead and close this podcast up with you know what time it is. It's time for College Football Friday, my six picks. Sitting here at 16 and 16, just trying to milk your bank account through the juice. We're going to take six more games, though. We're taking the UConn Huskies plus 11 versus South Florida. South Florida hasn't won a football game in a year. We're going to keep the 11 points and hope that trend continues. Virginia Tech is getting two touchdowns against the Hurricanes. I'm sure a lot of you guys out there are Canes fans, but I know VTech is terrible. But can Miami beat anybody by two touchdowns, especially a Power 5 team? I don't think so. Ohio State minus 19 and a half versus Michigan State. That is my pick of the year so far. Ohio State does not have a flaw on their football team. I think they are going to win it all this year. They are damn good, and Michigan State is not good. 
Stanford is getting 16 and a half points against the Washington Huskies. I like the Huskies, but I think that Stanford can play a close enough ball game in a late night weird Pac-12 game to keep that within three scores. Cal and Oregon, the over-under on that is 47. Give me the over because Oregon just plays too damn fast. And then San Diego State at Colorado State under 51 points. San Diego State is basically Stanford South. Three yards in a cloud of dust. Run all 40 seconds off the play clock. Plus, Colorado State's quarterback is injured, so give me the under there. UConn, Vautech, Ohio State, Stanford. The under in Oregon versus Cal. Check that. The over in Oregon versus Cal. And the under in San Diego State versus Colorado State. And as for today's podcast... That is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again on Sunday night for an off-season mock edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.